We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 8 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, some of these tables sitting around you guys, there's Bibles there. You can pass them down to someone who needs them. If you need more, there's more out there at the Connect table. But we're going to be in Psalm chapter 8. Okay, just nine verses. But really quickly as we're turning there, the Psalms, those are a collection of poetry and songs that were written to music. Many of them by the King David, uh, but other authors as well. And they were collected and compiled together very purposefully for God's people in that time to know them, to rehearse them, to sing them. The songs that we sing are very important because they're catchy, they stick with us. And I think a lot of times you remember what you sang more than you remember anything I'm about to say up here, which is fine. But that's why we need to be really uh, intentional with the songs that we sing, right? They stick with us and they're teaching you, informing you, and shaping you. And so the Psalms were collected together for the Jewish people, for God's people to be formed and shaped by them. To be reminded who God is, who is king, who sits on the throne, who is the creator of all things, and who is in control even when things in your life seem spiraling out of control, even in your deepest, darkest moments. And so you find a lot in the Psalms of David or the other psalmist just crying out to God going, this feels awful. And I don't understand. And you know what? That's okay. Like we can come before God with that. He welcomes that. He invites that. But there's always, too, this recognition, this acknowledgement of, yes, I may not understand and I may hate where I'm at in life right now, but I know that you are in control and that you are king and that you are good. And so if you actually look at the first section of the Psalms, there's a lot of praise. It's building up. It's laying that foundation. This is a good God who is in control and he is powerful. And then we get to a lot of the crying out. We get to a lot of the lamenting. But then it ends again, the last few chapters of the Psalms, and especially Psalm 150, the very last one, is like this crescendo of praise. Remember, even through all of that, just as we started, we end where we began, that God is a good God. And so we're in one of the early ones right now, Psalm chapter 8, where it's a lot of praise. And it's a good thing. And so turn with me there now. I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 8. There's only nine verses, as I said. And then we're going to pray together. But if you are able to, I invite you to stand with me out of reverence of God's word. This is written by the King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and kept and maintained by God for us today, his people. And he writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. 
You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that that would be the song of our hearts this morning and as we leave this place and as we go throughout our week and the rest of our days here until you return, Jesus, that we would sing how majestic is the glorious name of the Lord and that all of creation would see that through us. Open our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive your word this morning and may we be transformed by it in such a way. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I want to ask, and I, and I want some real responses, what is the last thing you remember seeing that brought you to a place of awe? Like you, you saw something and it was just like, like lost the, the air out of your chest. What did you see, Emin? You saw the eight up there. That's pretty awe-inspiring, right? Yeah. Good job. Your eyes are working. John? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Summer? Mm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, majestic mountains, a sleeping child. Any others? Sunsets. Yeah, we do have. It's one thing Phoenix has going for us. The sun is brutal and mean. It's a monster sometimes, but also beautiful. Yeah. Amy? Yeah, yeah, that's good, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, the work of our hands that has been established by the Lord. So, pretty recently, uh, it was, was it a week ago, week and a half ago, uh, one of my really good friends that I work with, I speak at schools with, he has twins now, like I do. He's just a little behind me, they just turned one, and so we were celebrating their first birthday, 
and we go to the house, this uh, family that was hosting this birthday party for them was amazing. It was huge, and it was beautiful. And we went into the back where the party was by the pool, and they had this wonderful spread of food. And my kids were in awe of this house. And my son Jonas said, Dad, can you ask them if you could be their roommate so that we could live here with them? I was like, I don't think it works that way, buddy. He was like, but they have the best desserts here. We could swim here every day and we could eat their desserts every day. And I was like, I don't think they have the spread every day set out. You don't understand how this works. And so then we were leaving and he goes, Dad, this was the best day ever. I was like, dude, I've taken you to Disneyland. I'll just take you to a one-year-old party from now on. It's much cheaper. But he was in complete awe. And, you know, it's interesting because then my son started asking me, like, what do they do for a living? How, do they, how can they afford this place? And usually, like, that's what, when you see, I don't know if you've ever felt that, like, you see, like, this really nice car or this really nice home, that's kind of your next logical thought is like, well, what must they do for a living, right? Because that object in itself isn't just there existing by itself and like shooting out its own glory by itself. It, it's there because somebody designed it at some point and then somebody used the work of their hands to create it. And the, the people's home that we were visiting, they have a job that they work and they work well at so that they can afford to have that house that my son was in such awe of. And so seeing that thing that makes you in awe should actually point you to something behind it, right? And that's like what Amy was sharing, like seeing the work that these doctors could do, that these people can do with medicine and, and procedures, points me to someone who has designed them and have given them these brains and the ability to figure this out. Someone who has designed our bodies to be so resilient, to heal. Or seeing the mountains. We went to Prescott yesterday and we went to uh, Watson Lake area and there's these huge rocks that we were climbing over and it was fun. Our, our kids, and again, Jonah said, this is the best day ever. And I was like, man, you have a good life. You got a lot of best days. And so we're climbing over these huge rocks and jumping from one rock to another. And we finally get down into this little ravine area and it opens up. And so you can see these giant boulders. You can see the water down at the bottom of the ravine. You can see the trees off in the distance and you can see the clouds up in the sky. And it's blue and it's just, it's gorgeous. And so I had to stop right there and I was like, guys, look at this. See all of this, the rocks, the dirt, the water, the trees, the sky, the clouds. Who made all of this? God did. I was like, yeah, God made this for us. This is our home because God created it and he created us and he put us here in this place. And that awe-inspiring moment should point you to something, particularly to someone and that's what's happening with David here as he writes this. It's probably likely, this is just my guess, but it's, it's likely that David's sitting under the stars as he's writing this. As he's writing these words, listen to it. He says, you have set your glory above the heavens at the end of verse 1. 
If we were to skip down real quick, verse 3, he says, When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. So it's very possible that David's either sitting there under the stars or he's at least reminiscing to a time when he was sitting under the stars. And he's just in awe. And he's not just in awe because of the moon and the stars. He's in awe because of the person who put them there. And so he starts with, Lord, our Lord. There's a lot of times we get into scripture where it sounds redundant, right? Lord, our Lord is kind of redundant sounding. But if you look at it in your Bibles, do you notice something distinct about those two printed words there? Lord, the first one, and Lord, the second one. Is there a difference between the two in your Bibles? What is it? Uh, you're just skipping ahead, Steve. Slow down there, buddy. One's in all caps, the other one is not. Right. Absolutely. So if you ever come across in your Bible where you see Lord, and it's in all caps, and you see Lord that is not in all caps, let me tell you why. There's a distinction. Actually, I'll let Steve tell you why. <laughs> no? You sure? Okay. I, you had it. You were there. All right, so... The first one is actually the very personal name of God, Yahweh, the Lord, our God, very personal name that God gives to Moses when he asks, who should I say sent me? And God says, you tell him, I am sent you. And so that name has, has become, it's taken on many different forms throughout the Jewish tradition, uh, and eventually, because they wouldn't say it, it got translated over a long period of time into Lord. But there's a distinction between that Lord and the second Lord used, because the second Lord just simply means Adonai, or someone of royalty and of high praise. That Lord can be used, in the lower case, can be used for kings who are men. But the Lord with all caps is a very personal God who also is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the ruler over all rulers. So he's saying, not only does this exist and it's pretty amazing, and not only did maybe some far off mystical being, deity, create it, but he's saying, no, 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 the God of Israel who has visited us, who came to Moses, who called me, from being a shepherd into becoming a king, David's saying, that God who said he loves us, the God of Israel, of the Jewish people, is also the Lord over all people, all nations, all creatures, all of space, all planets. That God that said we can know him the God who hears us, the God who sees us. And so David's in awe that this personable God who desires to know us is the God who has set all things into motion. And so he says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic. Majestic means like a royal power or an impressive beauty and dignity. And so he's just praising. You are a glorious, majestic God. How majestic is your name in all the earth not just for us Israelites, us Jewish people who you've called, 
but for all people who you've created and who you will one day call to yourself. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. And then David does an interesting thing here. He makes this weird leap. All of a sudden, he's praising this God over all the things, over all the heavens. And then he says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. What is he talking about? Have you guys ever heard that, that phrase, that saying, out of the mouths of babes? Like, that's usually something you say when kids say something ridiculous, right? Like, when Liam says something, it's like, out of the mouths of babes, you know, and I just shake my head at it. But this is actually where the saying originates from, and it wasn't when kids would say something ridiculous. It was actually establishing that even out of the mouths of frail little children, David's thinking of some of the most vulnerable people that exist in his society. They can't feed themselves. They can't clean themselves. They can't protect themselves. And he's saying, out of them, out of their mouths, God gets glory. God silences his enemies. And so I love one of our examples you guys gave of something awe-inspiring is a sleeping child, right? And you look at that and you go, man, this precious little life, and it just brings you to awe. There is this movie that I love in, uh, it was 2006, it came out called Children of Men. Has anyone seen that? Okay, so it was 2006, guys. Spoiler alert, Okay. Been 12 years. You can go watch it. It's a great movie. I strongly recommend it. I was going to show a clip of this scene that it, to me was like one of the most powerful scenes of cinematography I've ever seen. But I was watching it last night to see if I could show it, and I couldn't show it here. So <laughs> uh, there was just some language, nothing terrible, but not appropriate to show here. So, um, but this scene, so the, what the movie's about is it's this dystopian future where no one can get pregnant anymore. Every single person has become sterile. Uh, the, the wombs have been closed. And so there's no more humanity going to come. And the movie is about what humanity does in this instance. And basically, everyone just starts going nuts. And it's this idea that, like, no one's coming after me. I have no one to leave my legacy onto. I'm going to die soon. I'm just going to fight to live as long as I can. And so everyone's fighting against each other, killing each other, stealing from one another. And what the movie is about is this man who reluctantly finds himself in this position where he is caring for this young woman who mysteriously has become pregnant. And so he's making sure no one finds out because what are they going to do if they find out that she, the only woman that we know of, can actually have a child? And at the end of the movie, what happens is she ends up giving birth. And they're in the middle of this war zone. I mean, bullets are flying, there's tanks in the streets. It's chaos everywhere, and people are dying. And this little woman with a little tiny baby is being escorted by this man 
and someone hears the baby cry and they just stop dead in their tracks. And this whole scene is about a three-minute scene of the three of them, the man, the young girl, and her child, walking through a war zone and everybody just stopping, dropping their weapons, staring at this child, reaching out to touch the child, falling to their knees and thanking God. And they are silenced. Enemies are silenced and stopped in their tracks because there's life. There's a baby now. They couldn't do that. And I got to wonder why David's writing this. And I think about, you know what? There's a lot of things man can accomplish with our own hands. There's a lot of things we can do. But one thing we have very little control over is bringing life into this world. And some of us know either ourselves or loved ones who have felt the pain of that, of either losing a child or the pain of not being able to have a child. And there's medications that we can give to people to try to overcome that obstacle. But at the end of the day, it is the Lord who opens and closes the womb. God is displaying his majesty and his power and his glory by giving life. And that shuts up his enemies. We can't do that. That's power. And that's good. And that was good timing of a little baby letting out a sound right there. Thank you, Avery. I hired her to do that. And so I, I, I wonder if this is what David had in mind. Or maybe... Maybe, because this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, maybe David is just simply pointing to something that will come in the future. Because in Matthew 21, verses 15 and 16, Jesus is entering in to Jerusalem, and there's people, including little children, who are yelling out, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means the most high praise to this king. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they come up and they go, whoa, do you hear what these children are saying about you, Jesus? Aren't you going to stop them? And Jesus responds by saying, yeah, I, I hear them. Haven't you read? And he quotes Psalm 8. Haven't you read that out of the mouths of children and infants, God will establish his praise? So maybe David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to point to something that would come. I don't know. But I do know that David was very well acquainted with seeing God show his might and his power in the weak. It was in his history. Moses delivered God's people out of slavery in Egypt by going to the Pharaoh and commanding him to do so. And Moses himself was a murderer and not a good speaker. And God said, no, I'm going to show my power through you. God did this all the time, displayed his power through weakness. He did it with David, the author of the psalm. David, who was the king, the, the greatest, most renowned king of all of Israel throughout ages, who was never expected to become a king, right? 
I mean, when, when Samuel, who's the prophet at that time, when he's told, it's going to be one of Jesse's sons who's going to become the king. And so he goes to Jesse and he's like, hey, listen, you know I hear from God, right? Okay, this is what God said. One of your sons, they're going to be the king. And Jesse's like, that's awesome. Let me show you my sons. And he brings out all of his sons except David. Like, doesn't even bother to go get that scrawny little boy who's out there with the dirty sheep because there's no way it's David. I just heard a word from God that one of my sons is going to be king. I'm not even going to bother to introduce you to one of my sons. It can't be him. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to display my power through your son's weakness. I see something that you don't see. I look into his heart, not his stature on the outside. And because David was a person who recognized how great God is and how small he was, God used him to do some great things. Listen, David messed up a lot, right? We know that. David did some terrible things in his time, and yet he's still called in Scripture as a man who follows after God's heart because even in his weakness and even in his sin and even in his brokenness, he comes back to that recognition that I am nothing without you, God. That you, God, are majestic. And so this is why David gets to what he says in verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Like this is how big God is. You know how big the universe is? We're just one tiny little speck on this earth, which is a speck in our galaxy, which is a speck in the universe. And David's saying, God, with his fingers, keeps those in place. When I think about how big you are, he says, verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. This is a big God. Why would he even care about me? Have any of you ever felt that way with another person before where you're like, you find out someone knows your name, you're like, what? They know who I am? Really? Is, is that just me? Okay, I'm the most insecure person here. I remember one time um, when I was in about fifth grade, and we were at this, this um, church picnic thing with my dad's church. And we're hanging out there. And I don't really know most of them that often because we didn't go to church that much growing up. Uh, and so, but I see these kids over there playing and they're having fun. And I see these girls over here talking and they're having fun. And I'm just sitting there by my dad, just kind of bored. And I'm shy. I didn't want to go try to hang out with any of them. And I hear the girls like whispering and giggling and pointing. And then I hear them talking about, yeah, that boy over there in the black shorts. Oh, he's so cute. And I'm looking over at this boy in the black shorts and I'm hating him right now. I'm like, whatever, dude. He's, he's all right. He's not that good looking, you know. <laughs> and it took me like an hour later for one of the girls to come up and ask me for my phone number to realize I'm wearing black shorts. And they were talking about me. Like, that's how insecure I was. Can anyone relate to that at all? Okay. So, you know how we can get that way with people. Celebrities 
or someone who maybe you just watch from a distance and think is really cool, or they got their lives together, or maybe they got their kids better trained than I do. And we start to feel that kind of insignificance of ourself next to them. That is a lie. That's sin lying to us. That is not believing the truth that every single one of us has been created in the image of the same majestic almighty God. And that none of us is better or worse than the other. But David's insignificance right now, what he's feeling is right. What he's feeling is there's this majestic, great God, and we are small, frail beings who have turned against him, who have spat in his face, who have rebelled and said, no, we want to do it our way, who asked for a human king instead of God who said he would be our king. What are we, God, that you would want to be our king? What are we that you would even want to be around us? And the word that David uses here, he's so intentional with. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Now listen, what David's saying there is not just that God sometimes thinks of us. Like, yeah, every now and then I remember you. No, what, what that word is, is David is actually saying that the things that God does are with us in mind. The plans that he has, the actions that he takes are with mankind in mind. Does that blow you away? Because it should. This great majestic being who has never created and has always existed, who has created all things, all things exist only because of him. He spoke and it was there. He holds it in the palm of his hand. That's how big he is. And everything he does is with you and I in mind. And David's blown away and he goes, who are we that you would be mindful of us? I don't get it. And yet, God, and yet, you don't just think of us. This is what you do. He says, verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Now that has been translated to angels. It has been translated to say, God, you've made him a little lower than God. Uh, honestly, that's not important. What he's saying is, you've, you've made us in a pretty good spot, right? The reality is, and, and I think I'll show you this later, the reality is we are positionally a little lower than the angels. But then we see in a future date in 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us that we will actually judge the angels at one point. So forget about that. Here's what's important. You've made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him, that's you and I, mankind, with glory and honor. The psalm starts with God's glory and his majesty and his praise, and God chooses to crown humanity with glory and honor. Verse six, he says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God, everything you've made that you love and care for, you've entrusted to man and woman. My son Cannon is constantly struggling 
with the idea that humans are better than animals. It's like, wait, we're all God's creatures, right? And so we're constantly having this conversation like, Dad, why would we be more important than Millie, our dog? And I'm like, well, because Millie busted my door down and she puked on my floor. But that's not the point. Why? why are we? And I say, listen, that you're asking the wrong question, okay? God has given us a specific role to care for his creation. God has entrusted us with the creatures he cares about. As his representative, we get to care for all of creation. That's our role. That's, that's a big responsibility, but it's also a position of honor that we go as God's representatives to care for God's good creation. That's like when my parents would leave and put me in charge of the house, which I hated because all my siblings would start testing me right away. But they're trusting me with a lot. Like they're trusting when I get back, this house is not going to be burnt down. I think you can handle this. And God's saying, all of this earth, I'm trusting you with. Don't burn it down. Care for it. Display my majesty and my glory as my representatives to the rest of creation. And so we see all of this pointing us to something. It starts with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then what do we find in verse 9? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, right? David wraps everything he's saying about humanity in this statement about who God is. That God is majestic. And because God is majestic, we have glory and honor. That God is mindful of mankind. And because God is mindful of mankind, we have been cared for. Not only is God mindful of mankind, Flip with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to find some similar words here. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to read verses 6 through 10. Let me back up to verse 5. The author of Hebrews writes this, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, that somewhere is Psalm 8 that we just read, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little, for a little while, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And the author of Hebrews goes on to explain to us Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely who? Jesus. Jesus was made lower than the angels? Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
All right, catch this. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, God's glory is displayed. Jesus, who has all glory and power and honor. Jesus, who all things were created through him, we just read. Jesus, who is God himself, became a small infant, a baby, to still the voice of the enemy of God, to silence his foes. Jesus, the one who was above all, made himself for a time even lower than his angels he created, made himself identified with humanity, with you and I. He took on our role of being that human in subjection to God, given the glory and honor of caring for his good creation. And Jesus does it perfectly. Jesus became the fulfillment of Psalm 8. Jesus silenced God's enemies by becoming the most vulnerable of persons, a frail baby infant who could not feed himself, who could not care for himself and protect himself, who could not dress himself. Cared for by humans, sleeping next to dirty animals like David once did. And he lives in humility and in meekness for 33 years. And he walks this earth doing nothing but loving and caring for God's creatures, namely you and I, humanity. And he gets in return for it, spat on, mocked, beaten, stripped naked, and hung, nails driven through him to wooden beams. And he takes the death that we were owed. He takes the persecution that belonged to us, the penalty of us rebelling against God and saying, we don't need you, we can rule ourselves. Jesus takes that penalty of treason. The king who we rebelled against and welcomes us back so that he, though he was made lower than the angels for a time, is now seated and crowned at the highest position of the entire universe, of all of creation. He is the name above all other names. He has the most majesty, glory, and honor. And what is amazing about this is because he identified himself with us in our suffering as a human, as a frail human, those of us who identify with his suffering in the cross also get identified with his resurrection. And we get the inheritance of Jesus. We also get brought up higher than the angels. We also get brought up into this position over the rest of creation, being crowned with glory and honor. Not because we're great, not because we did the right things, but because Jesus identified with humanity and he also is completely God. He has done everything necessary to bring us back into that position of being those representatives of God, of being the ones who display to all of creation how good and glorious he is. But recognize this, that that position we have, that worth we have, that glory and honor that we receive is only found when it is wrapped in the majesty 
of our Lord. And that's why David starts and ends. And I'll read it one more time with that beautiful line. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Pray with me.